We there yet? We there yet? The podcast with Rich Kiamko. Ah, that's me. (laughs) And we are now live on Facebook. I am here live. Hey, with Chanel Ali. Uh, And she will be performing this Saturday. Uh, January. <laughs> I'm so quarantined. <laughs> She'll be forming this Saturday, June 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern as part of the Laugh Tour, thelaughtour.com. Uh, Chanel was just on uh, Comedy Central, and you have a new album out. Yes. Ch- Chanel number one. Brand new debut album. Just came out a few days ago. Uh, it debuted at number two on the comedy charts. And yesterday I got a write-up in Pace magazine. That was so nice. Uh, I just couldn't be more excited. Yeah, I mean, we're in lockdown. We're in civil war. Yeah. Uh, how does but that I, feel I, as a as a as a black female comedian? Yeah, I didn't plan. Like, I didn't sit down with my manager last year and was like, "Let's release my album when the pandemic slash civil rights movement is happening." <laughs> like, I didn't. I didn't have that type of conversation. But when I realized, like, just every day recognizing. <laughs> my step that that was about to happen i was like you know my curly fro is kind of timely for this historic period in the world so maybe it's for the best uh so yeah i didn't plan it but it's it's good it's good and i i have a, a joke on there that i did on my comedy central set where i advocated for stealing from h&m right uh, right yeah ah! And it's basically just a joke about how they, you know, had some racist advertisements. And I was saying, you know, don't spend your money there. And I got so much hate on that Comedy Central set from people in the comments prior to the pandemic and civil rights movement saying, you know, (laughs) advocating for stealing. And this is a bad example. And now I feel like now they understand what I was saying. And I win. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. Now... You know, I I, I, do, I dabble in Twitter. I have to have like a time limit because it starts to become like like the Lord of the Rings where the rings, I can't get the ring off and I can't stop like clicking. Yeah. But yeah. people saying like, you know, um, there's that, there's that, there's a, there's a graphic of how racist, where are you on the racism spectrum yeah. are you, right? But some people being like, well, you know, they'd be much more effective if they weren't looting or... You know, that is stealing. I'm like, hold on. Let's just rewind a little. You're worried about someone, you know, stealing from a target. Now, I don't advocate violence and, you know, the stealing property, but let's hold on because the United States was stolen. Yeah. And then they used, they stole people from Africa. They stole like 12 12 million people from Africa, dumped another 2 million in the ocean on the way because, you know. Black lives don't matter. I mean, this crazy disregard yeah. for the history of why we're here and the way we got a target that could be looted today is by looting this land and looting people from another land and enslaving the indigenous here and sending them to the other land. You know, it's like... And it's just never... It's ne- People who have never felt oppression are always trying to tell oppressed people how to react to it. And it's like... <laughs> What is the right way? Because if we're peaceful and we just take a knee, it's terrible. And if we're aggressive and we burn down an establishment, it's terrible. So when we're experiencing violence, you can't tell us don't be violent back or don't 
express yourself in a violent way because you don't understand what we're experiencing. Oh God, I'm sorry. <laughs> just a second, I'm back. So yeah, it's 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 really crazy how people can be so judgmental about protesting and not have any real solution. Right. Not have and, any real advice. Other than dismissing it, burying it, minimizing it, and going, well, I'm not going to support a man who assaulted a pregnant woman and all, you know, all these kind of like talking points. Yeah. And I'm like, do you understand that those cops did not know who he was? He was just a black man in a tank top that yeah. might have had a, a counterfeit 20, right? right. But then he's, right. she should die. You know, Michael Milken was like, I don't know, 400 million, 400 billion. Like how much money did he, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's- Or, or Bernie Madoff, like the billions of people's, you know, savings were destroyed. And no yeah. one put their knee on his neck for one minute. Right. And like we don't, I, I, I almost want to argue about patriotism because I feel like people are always saying, you know, you need to respect the flag and you need to respect the country. And it's like, if you really are a patriot and you believe that this country is free, you should be outraged that cops are killing people without trial, without going through the system. You should be outraged because right, the patriot in you should say, this is not the country that I want to live in. This, and this is not is the type of environment that I signed up to be in. Right, and that's the country, the, the monarchies that the you, the colonists, you know, seceded from, fought from. The whole point of it was that we would not live under that kind of a dictatorship or fascism or tyranny. Tyranny, and yet, that, but we'll do it in our own. We have our own version of tyranny. For yeah, yeah, yeah we do. Karen, Karen's tyranny. Yes, I mean, I mean Aunt Jemima, and then like. The Philippine, the the woman, the Karen in uh, San Francisco, who's like the guy yeah. chalk writing the yeah. Black Lives Matter, the Filipino, the gay Filipino guy. Oh my God, uh, was doing that, and she profiled him because he shouldn't be it's living crazy. in that neighborhood, right? I mean, it's, and it's crazy that like cameras don't even scare them anymore. They're like, well, I still feel right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what's happening? She's go ahead and record it. Then. You're being recorded. And, and, and the other thing I'm is like, great is, and the, and the other guy is he's recording back. Okay, I just want to document how racist we are to prove to you that we're not racist. <laughs> I love it. It's great. I, I it's just, great. It's baffling. It, it's, it yeah. would be less funny if it wasn't like just heartbreaking. So real. If it wasn't so yeah, if the reality wasn't so shocking. But at a certain point, it's like if you don't find some humor in it or allow yourself to laugh a little, it'll consume you. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because, you know, we need to, we need to stay uncomfortable. We need to stay in this perpetual state of this is not okay, this is not good enough. But, um, you know, obviously being a comedian, it's hard for me not to find humor in a lot of things. Right. <laughs> Right. I mean, I don't, I, for myself, it was a coping mechanism as a kid, yeah. you know, totally. to, to totally. survive the kind of microaggressions and not so microaggressions that, you know, I'm, they, I grew up in a small town where they called me the N word because they were so ignorant. <laughs> they were like, we don't even know, but you're one of them. <laughs> right. Right. So like, uh, you know, and it's not even that lived experience, but it's still being other. And yeah. being, you know, physically, you know, attacked. And like, I'm not even those people. 
those people, you know? Yeah. I, I didn't even know what I was. My parents were very like, assimilate, assimilate, speak perfect English. You know, even though my parents didn't speak English and definitely didn't assimilate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where did you, so where yeah. did you, you, were you Philly? Did you grow up in Philly area or how did you, where did you start? Yeah. I moved, I moved around a lot, but I was pretty much raised in the Philly area. And then I moved back to the Philly area uh, in my late teens. So I lived there the longest, but I've lived all over the country. Like I've lived in California, I've lived in Alaska, I've lived in Arizona. Like I've just lived everywhere. Um, but yeah, Philly is home base and that's where I started comedy. They've got a, a cute comedy scene, like two comedy clubs there. And um, Philly's hard. It's a hard crowd. It, it really made me tough. It really made me kind of uh, dead inside. So by the time I got to New York, I was like, this is fine. I don't care. This is yeah. art. I don't care if you don't laugh, you know? So it, it's, it's a great place to start, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a certain amount of getting the, co the soul kicked out of you so that you find it or yeah just kind of... a live performer. yeah 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 and what yeah, do you totally. i think that i think that's why why people excel when they come to new york is if they've come from a scene that you know has already beat them up <laughs> right right you're like ah i'm on i'm in i'm all in let's do it <laughs> yeah i um i i was just looking in the news today the whole comment section about the the you know the removing of the aunt jemima brand yeah. And people commenting like, what's the big deal? <laughs> people it's don't like, even, it's... even if the article, even if the article talks about she was a slave, right? Yeah. And then, right. you know, but they're like, well, she was paid. And, you know, like people. <laughs> it's crazy. The only, she's probably the only person that, that made the most money. Who else was doing model, modeling as a, a female black model in, yeah. In that period, which she probably couldn't even eat in a restaurant or, or, yeah. or use a restroom or fountain, but she was getting, so like, what, what, what do you think she was living some Beyonce life? Yeah. Do you think she was like a low key star and nobody really knew that she was her, but they were like, she kind of looks like that lady. Like, no, she was not living well. She wasn't capitalizing. The people that were capitalizing on using her image were right. you know, people that weren't her. They weren't related to her. They weren't her family, you know? And right. this is just a tiny example of black people working for free, building up brands and companies for free. Yeah. Uh, or or, or un, uh, not, none of her family got the royalties after she died. Yeah. Right. Think of, of think of the money. If every American had bought, had bought Aunt Jemima products several times through so her lifetime, and what was she really paid? So much. It's, it's, you know, and I don't understand how people never have hindsight like that. Like, why they can't go back and think, oh, maybe I'm contributing by buying this product to a system that has excluded a person of color from something they deserve. Why, why is it so hard to, like, refigure? Because I, I have had to had, have hard conversations with myself back in the day about Chick-fil-A and acknowledge, like, hey, I don't want to, I like the nuggets. They're so yummy. The sauce is great service a plus the things they spend their money on i can't be a part of it i can't be a part of this system that doesn't align with my ideals about what is right and what is wrong so like i just don't understand why other people have a hard time doing the same thing right right i mean i had a a, a, a friend uh, you know someone i know in my i'm in like these men's organizations so you have people from all circles in a circle 
sharing their truth. And I think it's important to be able to hear and speak in a container with people with different experiences. But it was a Caucasian man that was sharing about how he felt there was no systemic racism. Because I guess it's not, it's not here. I haven't seen it, so it right. can't exist. But like I have a black stepfather, so therefore I know the lived experience of black people. You know, and I was like, oh my God, I just, oh, sad. Yeah. it's sad. You were right there. Crazy. You had an opportunity to, to like be woke or somewhat exposed yeah. and you still missed it. Yeah. I mean, that's how sad. I mean, this is a person who's a really loving man. Like, but that he's I, just not capable of there's seeing just things so, that are affecting him. He's just like, I, if I don't see it, then. Yeah, if you don't see it, even though you, you saw types of oppression upon your family family or your step family or whatever but you didn't get it yeah like how how about people that have never not personally known a person of color or a a minority how much harder is it for people to get it if they don't even have a relative (laughs) if they have a relative they don't get it this i I don't know there's just i yeah you know i always talk about my upbringing and how um I'm half black. My dad is black. My mom is half Indian, half Italian. So on my mom's side of the family, I'm the only black person. There just isn't any black people. They're Italians or they're East Indians, you know? And so growing up, I just thought being black meant you were any range of colors. So I never identified that they weren't black because I knew I was black. So I was like, you're my grandma. You got to be black. You're a weird color. I don't know. You don't do well in the sun, but you got to be, you know? And then one day, <laughs> one day I went, I went to school and this girl came up to me and she was like out of breath. She ran up to me and she was like, oh my God, I saw you last night at Target with this old white lady and she kept talking to you. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, lower your voice. That doesn't even sound like me. <laughs> I saw her and she was like helping you pick out bras and it was crazy. And I was like, holy, like, what is she talking about? And so then I realized she was talking about my grandmother. And so that day I went home from school and I walked up to my grandmother and I was like, hey, are you white? <laughs> and she like laughed and she was like, yeah, what did you think I was? And I was like, I never thought about it before. I thought, oh my God. You were just a light-skinned black lady, I guess, but holy shit, you know? And she was like, yeah, no, I'm white. My Both of my parents are from Italy, and, you know, I met your grandfather, and then we had all these biracial kids, and then, you know, you came out, and you're my first black granddaughter, and, you know, I love you, and people stare at us when we're out, and I know what they think, and I don't give, you know, I don't care. You're my grandbaby, and I don't care, you know? And so it really, really transformed my ideas about race and even identity. Because for a long time in her and my grandmother's life, a lot of people didn't know what she was. They thought, especially seeing her with people like me, they were like, maybe she's, you know, mixed or something. So yeah, it, it really changed my perspective about color and about, wow. you know, just... What color under- hair did your grandma have? Uh, it was gray. She had gray hair. So it was, so was always gray, so you never could figure I just out. never knew. I obviously knew that she was lighter but i definitely didn't think that she was white 
we never talked about things like that. We never talked about the differences in our race. How old were you um, when that moment happened? I was 13. I had just started junior high. Wow. Yeah. And I remember walking up to her like, am I going to ask her if she's white? I think I have to. I think I have to just ask her <laughs> what she says. Uh, but she was really tickled by the conversation. And I think she was really touched by the idea that I just saw her as grandma, not white grandma. Well, well but also because who had taught you difference in that? Yeah. In I didn't such know a, from an, But it's from an other, you know what I mean? Like, right. I, I didn't, I mean, I knew I was Filipino growing up, but I just, I, I, I you know, I just knew that was where we were from, but I didn't get that, like, it wasn't so specific, like, what yeah. race was until, mm-hmm. like, in, in my little my little school, everyone just, we all were just little kids, but I went to the middle school, then the, the kids said, you know, calling me and all these words that I was like, what? what's going on? And I'm like, am yeah. I? Oh, I am different. Oh, my nose is different. I don't have a pointy nose. Oh, I have these big lips, but yeah, they weren't big until junior high school because I wasn't told they were big, you know? Right. And even in writing comedy, I don't ever sit down and want to like write a joke about race relations or discrimination or, you know, systemic racism. I don't ever sit down and want to, but I do. It happens because it's a reality. And as an artist, it's hard, especially as a black woman, not to speak about what I see, what I've experienced and what I know to be true. Um, So it's one of those things where I know that for as long as I'm a comedian, I'm always going to have a lot of jokes about race. I'm always going to have it because that's the reality that I live in every day. I feel like that's the sweet spot. The, uh, the place where the, there's that, the aggression, the pain, the wound, the, the, the darkness that, can be transformed. I mean, it's not always transformed, but we're, we got a while to go. But yeah, I honestly have, I've, I'm so tired of white comics trying to come up with hot takes on slavery. I'm just like, there's none. Do you have <laughs> the barrels empty? Just stop it. But it's, I see it all the time. Like a brand new comic will just like debut in comedy and he's like, I'm going to talk, I'm going to break down slavery. Nobody's ever done it. I have a new take. Everybody needs to hear it. And it's never good. It's never, ever good. Never, ever good. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right. It's sort of like, uh, I don't know. You got to pull out a Napster parallel to that? You know, like, what, it's crazy. And I, I, we, there was some controversy in the comedy scene a few weeks ago about a, a comic who had a video. Like, they made a sketch in 2016, a white woman where she had a black man, like, on a leash and was basically trying to mock her ancestors who had slaves or people whose ancestors had slaves. And so then she received all this backlash in the last few weeks because the video resurfaced and she was like, I made a mistake in 2016 and I I regret it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, 2016, you didn't know? Hey, I shouldn't put a black person on the leash? (laughs) 2016? It, that, based on how much we've been through this year, 2016 was like three months ago. It's really, you know, it's just, just yesterday. So, ah, it's just so crazy. Oh, I'm dropping my camera. It's so crazy that creatively people can misstep that way. Because even when you see people get on SNL and they go through all their tweets 
all their podcast things and they find all these racist interviews or these racist whatever. I, I was on a Food Network show where they told me before they searched and they said, hey, we're, we're going to lock down your Twitter and we're going to search it. So if you want to go delete stuff, go do it. And I remember telling my manager, I'm not going to delete anything. You can go through my tweets from the end of time. I feel very confident that I've never said anything hateful, racist, or even really very negative. I just had no fear whatsoever. Okay, maybe a little fear whatsoever. Because <laughs> I'm always, I'm nervous. Like, did I say something that I was in No, show? I was like, maybe I, one day, a Karen said something crazy to me, and maybe I popped off, you know? But it came back, and it was squeaky clean. And I was like, yeah, because I know I'm a good person. I know that I've never felt so confident that I could just talk into the abyss and think nobody will ever find out, you know? But right. that's another part of privilege of feeling like you could just say it and it's not a big deal. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I was at some, I think it was 2004 at a, like the world's largest LGBTQ plus event. And I had made, I had misgendered two people in the room and one person presented with a beard and one person presented with what I thought were, you know, and they had other, identified with another gender that yeah. I had assumed. And I was like, I just felt like my whole head exploded and I was terrified to ever, ever open my mouth again. And I'm like a queer person of color and I'm now right? perpetuating, you know, an aggression against trans people. But, but like, even the fact that it like bothered you for that little bit of time, like that's the goodness in you. And it's like, there's some people that just don't have that goodness in them. <laughs> They're just like, I'm not even going to think about if I'm affecting other people negatively. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, that's what you get for showing up like that. Yeah. Well, you're, ask, <laughs> you're, you're asking for it. You know, like those, those yeah. people, those people, that kind of response is always, oh God. What are you, yeah. how, now where are you right now and how are you surviving COVID? Like what, what's your regimen? So usually I live in New York City, but I have, I have asthma and allergies. I don't know if you saw me sniffing. Um, and because I have asthma, I left New York right away. Like as soon as it was more than one or two people, I was like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Um, partly because I have a lot of roommates and I don't know what they do. <laughs> and right. Don't wanna, right, yeah. right. You know that traffic. Too much, it's too much. So I'm in the Pocono Mountains. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm in the Pocono Mountains. Um, I'm actually at my boyfriend's parents' house. Uh, his parents have a pretty big house out here and they are quarantined in Jamaica on oh, the wow. beach. And because they're old, we're just so much more relaxed knowing that they're on an island. People can't get in or out. Like there's very minimal cases. They're good. So we just right, been up here right. maintaining their house um, because they can't come back. There's, there's no like intercontinent. They're not letting people come back. Um, so and why? And why would they want to come back now? <laughs> like, you know, at this point, they're like, it's fine. We have every, They were literally there building another house. So they have everything they need. Wow. Um, so yeah, we've just been taking it day by day, um, you know, trying not to be on our phones all the time. And I'm really lucky that I had the album to keep me busy because I had to do a lot of things in preparation for the release. Like I had to tape a lot of, you know, promos and a lot of drops and I had to like name all the tracks and edit it and things like that. So I'm really lucky that I had that project to keep me busy because everybody, you know, watching everybody protest and being on the front lines in New York City, it was easy for us to feel like, ah, I wish we could do more. I wish we were helping more. Like, we're donating, but, you know, we're not on the front lines. So I've had to calm myself and remind myself that as an artist 
elevating my voice means that I will have a bigger platform to affect more people one day. Yeah, greater change. I mean, I think of it like leveraging your energy. Like you, exactly. you want to place your voice in that crowd or yeah. do you want to build the momentum and the, and the right. leverage of what your art is? I mean, because, you know, you're hysterical. And I think it, it would be a tragedy for you to be sidetracked and I said, yeah. and this is, I'm saying this to you as I'm saying it to myself, because I'm sitting here going, what kind of dick joke can I write today? What you can know? I do to like fight like, the, the who, am I, who am I helping? <laughs> right, right, right. What, how can I really be of service? Like when, when the whole COVID thing happened, I started doing these, these Zoom shows and I realized people need relief. They're all locked down, yeah. afraid to die and want totally. some kind of human contact. And, you know, without... And, and so if anyone who's, who's tuning in this Saturday, June 20th, 9 p.m., every 9 p.m. every Saturday, I'm running at the Laugh Tour, thelaughtour.com. You can see a link down here. But this Saturday, Chanel Ali will be headlining, who's hysterical. But, you know, you're, you're, and her album, Chanel number one, is now number one, number two, number one, number two. Number two, number two. It's okay. cute, you know. It's cute. Uh, it's, it's pretty killer. I mean, you're sort of dismissing <laughs> the, like, oh, yeah, yeah, so I'm, I'm first lady of comedy right now, but you know, yeah. whatever. I mean, it's amazing. That's great. It's, it is. It's, it's so incredible. And I, even the other day I was looking and I saw that my album is on every platform, including Napster. Oh my God. Go back in time and tell 13 year old Chanel, you know, one day you're going to have an album on Napster. She would have <laughs> said, shut the fuck up. Like <laughs> what kind of album? Am I a singer? You know, I wouldn't have even, <laughs> conceptualized right. what I could have been doing. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm really proud of myself and happy that my legacy starts there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? Like how, I mean, there's, there's what's happening for you personally in the midst of what's happening globally. You know, in I, feel, I feel really proud. I feel so proud of a lot of the jokes that I said on that album, a lot of the perspective that I feel like I get, I was giving off. Um, excited that my voice is being elevated and that I'm going to find my way into people's cars and to people's houses who may have never heard of me before. And as a comedian, you can do so many shows a night and kill them all and then go home and look at your however many hundred Instagram followers and feel like, but does anybody know I exist? Am I even here? Right, right. It's conceptually, it was hard to like fathom putting an hour worth of my jokes on a thing and giving it away because, you know, that's my baby. That's what I've been working on. But now that I have, to me, it feels like one of the only times I've been able to really sit back and look at the fruits of my labor because, uh, you know, it's, it's just a body of work. It's, it's a good time capsule of right. what a black artist is experiencing or has experienced you know, right before, right before everything exploded and, you yeah. know, like also, and I really hope that changes in that, will there ever be a massive crowd to be able to, sh you know, shoot an album again? Like, will we all right. be in these like six feet away outdoor stadiums? I don't know. How are people going to shoot things? How's that going to feel tight terrifying. like a club? I'm actually doing a show in July that's in a drive-in movie theater and all of the people are not getting out of their cars. And like, I'm going to be excited to get on stage again, 
but I know that it's just not going to be the same. It's going to be such a different thing. And I'm happy that I, you know, I taped this album in December and we were lucky that I got a good write-up in the New York Times and that, you know, a lot of people came and two shows later we had this thing. So I, I really hope we find a vaccine <laughs> because I want to go back to telling jokes so badly. I want people to feel confident coming outside. And the people that are coming outside right now and are going to comedy clubs in places like Texas and whatever are not really the greatest people. Not really the smartest people, not really the best in terms of audience. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I can't wait for things to, you know, get back to, not the way they were, because I think things are going to be different, but to get back to being able to entertain is going to be great. Yeah, I mean, I think, the, the, I guess the, I don't know if you want to call this a blessing, but the fact that the pandemic was happening people didn't have as many distractions as to what yeah what we're sitting on like you like they say this the story of like you know a frog that's in a big pot of water when you start boiling the water it can't tell because it's just getting they're just used to it right but in here we, but with it but with the pandemic it sort of stopped all the distractions and all you could see is like oh what's that flame <laughs> you know, like yeah what's that flame down there oh my god like we have to address this. <laughs> this is something we're all sitting in, or some of us are sitting. Like it's horrific in terms of how many people have died, but it's beautiful and that the world was at a standstill, and that a lot of people who usually have to go to work and are so preoccupied with their own lives, whether racism affects them or not, were forced to take a step back and say, "Wow, my my black friends are telling me that they need my help." That, that they need me to, to, to put some words on a sign and go outside and say no more of this. And beyond just having that feeling, having that action and having the time to do the action is really such a blessing because it's everywhere. You can't talk about the new football game or the new whatever that's about to happen, the new movie at the movie theaters, because it's not happening. There's nothing else happening, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Right. So, yeah, I feel like it, it, it in, a, in a crazy, crazy way, it worked out the way that it needed to so that we could do the work that we couldn't do alone. Right, right, right. I think uh, I would see these clips from cities that are tiny cities that are flooded with people yeah and, uh, and for you know in london and in, in paris i mean around the globe people i i, I just un, you know it's unfathomable and i'm just i'm thrilled and you know i'm also terrified like please don't die <laughs> keep yeah. your mask on right please yeah it's um it's crazy but I, I i'm entranced by the idea of maybe being able to tell my future kids one day hey you know back in my day cops used to do whatever they wanted without imp like with impunity but we put a stop to that shit like the idea of being able to say that to any child one day hey you don't have to worry because if the cops are there or if social services come they're gonna come help instead of inflame or escalate a situation. Like, ah, it just makes me excited. My heart right. starts to get excited right. about that world. Right, I mean, imagine the world of like, oh, there's a dispute. Okay, let's get the conflict resolution people on. We need to call the conflict resolution people. 
immediately. Yeah, this is a person that is super well versed in handling people with mental disabilities and can come out here and really de-escalate the situation. And also, they don't even have a gun because they don't even need one. And you know, like let's just be smart and and look at research and really take care of ourselves in the best way we can. You know. Right. I mean, I think it was interesting. Uh, when Marion Williamson was talking about at, on the debate stage, this is, oh God, this is like millions of years ago, but she, <laughs> she, I mean, I went to, to DC with her in 2003 as a, as a young activist going, yeah, we need a department of peace. We can't just be waging war. We need to create, she was so ahead of her time back then. She's like, we need to create social systems to, because if you see places where terrorism happens, it's because people don't have education, water, shelter, yeah. food. And women don't have a right. They don't have yeah. are repressed. So where is that happening in the world? And where is that happening in our communities? If we create systems that people are uplifted and they, we don't have to, re, to have violence. You're not going to have violence. You're not going to have drug abuse. You're not going to have all this, all these problems. If you, if you feed our communities in the greatest need with what they really need, not just physically feed, but, yeah. feed, but like, you know, socially and structurally. Yeah. Well. So, like, we don't need guns because people will be, you know, united in some larger collective idea of what we could be. Like, let's not let people spiral to the point where they're beyond approach and now we have to call the cops. Let's have actual social services that help them get back on track or help them at least live in peace so that we don't need to call the cops, you know? But it's it's such a concept that it's it's going to take a while for people to really understand because when they hear defund the police it's just so heavy hitting and they start thinking about their house being robbed and nobody coming to help them and it's going to take a while but i really think that we are making changes that are it's going to make everyone safer happier healthier yeah i think i think the trigger of saying defund police sets people off if we if yeah. we instead of focus on what we don't want. We, if we labeled it like expand society's services, services or something, yeah. you know. And personally, I've always been one of those taxpayers that's just disgusted by how much a county will spend on lawsuits, um, police lawsuits, lawsuits against, you know, sheriffs because they did the wrong thing and this person got hurt. You know, hundreds of millions of dollars taxpayers have to pay out every year because cops do their job poorly and to me that's like if you're a capitalist you should be outraged even if you're a patriot you should be outraged that this entity is is performing so poorly that it's costing us much more than it really should right because we're we're, we're we're you're doing like backwards like if you had created an efficient holistic system there wouldn't be all this waste like if you were using a, it's like a fossil fuel using rage hate and fear because yeah. all the all the pollutions are you know collateral killings, racial profiling, suppression of people. But if you created like a paradigm where you you were building like the collective greatness of the whole community, we wouldn't have police in situations where they're, they're they have to be corrected because they themselves are in a different paradigm, and the whole collective is in a different paradigm of belief right. system. But it's not yeah. modeled for us, and it's it's dismissed, it's belittled, it's since this thing is happening here, we can only see that, and we don't think about what the root cause of it is. You know, yeah, it's a larger perspective. Yeah, if you just keep eating candy, we're always going to get cavities. You can't just say, well, 
defund the dentists, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of my first jobs in Philly, um, when I was 19, I, I got hired by TSA. And so I worked at the Philadelphia airport and this was like a government job. Like I was sworn in and I had a badge and like, you know, it, it was, we were a government agency and working in that agency at 19, I was just dumbfounded by how many people were inept, were just not smart, lacked critical thinking, logical skills. And these are people that are trying to make sure bombs don't get on planes. And I'm like, wow, some of these people are collecting really large paychecks and are genuinely not smart people and not handling situations well, not de-escalating things. And so that was just kind of like a smaller microcosm for me to understand how problems within our entire government fester and money circulates and power corrupts you know so i think we all should be able to look at anything any entity and say it could run better it could be better we could spend less money and we should all be on board for getting closer to that right right i think in a but when there's like the say if you think like a hammer everything looks like a nail if you think from a fear-based scarcity place yeah then everyone's a target and the solution is not to reduce our ability to hit those targets or destroy those targets where we have to step out of like everyone's not a target. The thinking is what got us here in the first place. We're just perpetuating it. And there's also, you know, the privatization of prisons and this whole business of the new slave labor of like, oh, we'll just put them all in prison. Yeah. You know, even like the bail, the no bail. The, you think of how many people are incarcerated because of like uh, they they didn't pay a ticket, and now it's they're crazy. in jail. They're in jail because they didn't make a ticket payment. Yeah. How is that? How is that legal? Like, how does it help anyone in society with this right. person being in jail now? How, right. And, and, no and, they're, and they're, 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 they're children. They're fam- now you're breaking more families mm-hmm. for something that's not even. It, I just was like, what? This is all. This is all systemic racism and, yeah. and classism it just keeps because if you have money you can pay bail but if you just what if everyone's tight that week now you're going to yes. lose your job because you can't get bailed in your, a day and your, your whole life your whole life is going to go into a down spin and then generations after you will be affected by this one thing that the government allowed to take everything from you I mean, also systemic poverty is is created by the government and capitalism. So it's not like yeah. it's, it's not like it just happened once. It's been collectively the momentum yeah. of what disenfranchisement of the poor and of people of color, mm-hmm. indigenous. You know, I mean, I feel like I'm we're going into like sixty minutes out of the podcast. It's like it's like what can we do though? Right. <laughs> it's like how can we quick a dick joke? Yeah. What, what, how can we pretend that it's not heavy on our brains? <laughs> right. Right. Now, so this Saturday. Uh, June 20th, 9 p.m. Eastern. You can catch Chanel Ali on The Laugh Tour, thelaughtour.com. But there's also links here. How can people follow you on Instagram, Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I have the same name on there. It's Chanel, two underscores, Ali. So that's Chanel like the perfume, two underscores, Ali like Muhammad. And you can get my album, Chanel Number One, on literally every single platform that albums are sold i saw some some platforms on that list haven't heard from them in years couldn't believe that my album is on there soundcloud <laughs> if you still have a soundcloud account it's on there um, <laughs> i know i still have a soundcloud account are you kidding me it's crazy it's crazy i was like whoa who's doing this <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, check it out it's a real good time that's great well i'm so thankful that you joined me today chanel 
Uh, it's just refreshing to hear your voice. So, and it was great seeing you on Comedy Central. I can't wait for people to know you more through Chanel Number One and beyond. Yeah, thank you so, so much. And thanks I'm proud so much for joining. I say, I always say, you know, if we've had a good discussion and maybe enlightened some people, then maybe we saved some babies today. Yeah, and if we've pissed some people off, maybe we've triggered something that they need to look at or they don't yeah. want to look at. Who knows? But yeah. I, I'm just being of service, you know. We did it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. So See great ya. to have you. Okay. So for more information, you can go to WTY Podcast. That's WTYPOD.com. That's We There Yet Podcast with Richie Kamko. Go to SoundCloud or Stitcher or iTunes or anywhere. And you can give me a review. Uh, tell your friends. And check out Chanel Ali. That's Chanel, two underscores, Ali, like Muhammad. Or just click the links below so you can't figure that out. Because if you're listening, they'll be in the meta on this. And uh, be safe. Stay socially distant, but stay connected inside. We've got lots more work to do. And thank you for joining me today. Bye, Bye Chanel. Bye, thanks. It's a comedy journey.